It is Thursday, the 10th of October. I'm your host, Ryan Kia, and this is the Quantum Cast. I know this will probably be a really early upload by many of our listeners' standards. It is 2.27 right now. We'll probably get this up by around 3 or so, depending on how quick we can get everything sorted out. Well, I had actually been graciously invited to attend the launch party of Vibe Pay, which is a side business owned by, or more so actually, a revolutionary business owned by Vibe Group Holdings Limited. And I actually had the chance to speak with a wonderful individual by the name of Luke Massey, the founder and CEO of Vibe Group Holdings Limited. Well, Luke is such an amazing individual and he has such an inspirational story of how he got to where he is now. And also he has some great visions for the future. What an amazing person on the whole. I mean, from the brief conversation we had, I took back nothing but positive energy and forgive the pun, good vibes from our conversation. And I hope that we can use our platform to share more about his story soon, for sure. I mean. What an amazing team, wonderful people. They all had a lot of energy. They really were invested emotionally and also financially into the success of the up and coming launch of Vipay. So Vipay is going into beta right now, I believe, on Monday actually. And once that's out, it will eventually be launched to the public soon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we've covered uh, Vela technologies before, but Vipay are actually one of the holdings, they hold about 3% odd in them, but VibePay is part of a larger business called Vibe Group. And honestly, in terms of management, wow, Luke is a visionary. What an amazing guy. I've said this quite a few times in this podcast already, but the vision that Luke has for the future is beyond financial gains, actually making a difference. And that is something that many directors lack. A lot of them are too caught up in the short-term fundamental side of things. And they realize that actually they're sacrificing long-term returns. Well, an individual who actually thought in the long-term would be someone like Elon Musk. And look at how successful Elon Musk is. Not just financially, but in the fact that he's actually making a difference to life today. This is amazing. It has been a wonderful night. I came back, I had two cups of tea, so you can probably tell I'm very energized right now. It's 2.32 now, and we've been going strong, but we need to actually get back to the macro stuff. Today's focus is a little bit of a beginning on different types of investment strategies. So we're going to be looking at a couple of different strategies. For today, I think we're gonna probably bring up a Stoken Asset Management Strategy. This is a combined asset allocation strategy. One that actually doesn't take something too complicated. It is something that you could probably replicate yourselves as investors and reduce the risk that you're taking by a lot more than the return that you're giving up by doing this. It's almost like insurance, let's think of it that way. But before we get to Stoken's Asset Management Strategy, it's a combined asset allocation strat, we're gonna have a look at the 60-40 investment portfolio just to create a bit of a background. So by doing that, we have to give a little bit of background. So we must 
first note that recent decades have presented severely turbulent times for investors, and especially in terms of volatility. And in the last 20 years alone, investors had experienced two of the largest stock market crashes in history, including the pop of the dot-com bubble and the financial crisis, obviously, in 2008. So one thing that we should probably talk about is the fact that smoothing returns and shying away from losses has been an important set of goals for investors. To put it simply, the 60-40 strategy requires an investor to have 60% of their portfolio invested in potentially higher risk, but also higher return equities or assets like stocks, obviously, as we just mentioned. Uh, but the other 40% would be invested in lower risk, but also likely lower yielding assets, such as government bonds. So we could use the example of international treasuries, I don't know, a US 10-year or uh, a UK 5-year bond or whatever. Whatever yields the highest return has the lowest risk of default. So the international standard would be the US 10-year treasury bond or the US 30 yeah, treasury bond, dependent on how much duration risk you'd like to take on, but also the level of patience that you have as an investor, because are you going to wait 30 years to get a certain interest rate where if your money's invested elsewhere, you'd probably get a higher return? Well, history says it from a lot of things that we've covered in previous episodes. If you put your money in equities and say from 1900 to 2014, I know obviously this wouldn't happen in reality, but if you did that, you'd get around 7.4% real returns. So we're talking in nominal terms, we'd add 3.9%, just be safe, let's say 11.3 or 2.9 if you want, in terms of inflation, depending on whatever your world average is. Our world average was 2.9%, so say a 10.3% uh, nominal return, which is something impressive. You wouldn't get that on bonds at all. I mean, bond premium from 1980 to 2014 was quite decent. We'll actually talk about that maybe in the next episode if we can make it. If not, we'll eventually cover bond premium and how unrealistic the returns from 1982 to 2014 were in comparison to 1912 to 2014. Premium was like 2% in the average period for the whole like larger set. But just for that given 1982 to 2014, premium average, something like 5% a year, which is crazy. And that was real returns as well. Mad stuff, adjusted for inflation, just in case anybody doesn't know what real returns are. To put it simply, the 60-40 investment strategy exists because investors are actually trying to provide equity-like returns while smoothing out the extreme highs and lows that come with an equity-only portfolio. The easiest way to say it is getting equity-like returns with bond-like volatility. That's an amazing thing if you can achieve that, but it takes quite a bit of work. You have to be analyzing different assets and seeing what you can do to kind of reduce your returns a little bit but then drastically reduce your risk that's being taken. Well, with the 60-40 portfolio, it's a really simple strategy and it's used as a benchmark portfolio. Over the next couple of episodes, when we analyze different strategies, the 60-40 investment portfolio will be used as our benchmark. 
So with this 60-40 portfolio, we're not gonna be comparing its performance to that of any other strategy. So to break down the 60-40 investment portfolio, it represents a 60% investment. We're just using a model, right? You could put a 60% investment in, I don't know, any other equity market. You could use the FTSE 100, you could use the Nikkei 225, it's totally up to you. But in this case, for the model that we've been using, it represents a 60% investment in the SPI, otherwise known as the Standard & Poor's 500 Index, or the S&P 500, whatever you'd like to refer to it as, and a 40% investment in IEF, otherwise known as Intermediate Term US Treasury. So these can vary throughout the years, three year, five year, 10 year, and 30 year. But um, the majority of them are tied up in 10 year US Treasury bonds. So the 60-40 portfolio has actually, looking back historically, been a difficult obstacle to beat over the last 30 odd years, largely as a result of consistently falling treasury yields. And it's also important to note that this portfolio, if you use the strategy, you should actually be rebalancing it monthly. If we have a quick look at the equity curve, we can create an image by saying that $10,000 invested in December 1969 using this strategy would have actually become $923,238 in September 2019. In terms of drawdowns, so peak to trough, we can see that the maximum drawdown had been minus 29.5% and this was achieved in February 2009. So that was at the height of the financial crisis and the longest drawdown had lasted for around 40 months. In fact, this strategy, as we've just mentioned before, is based on a static portfolio. So you won't really see a signal for a change in its optimal allocation. So you won't be balancing it actively, you'll only be doing it say monthly. Some people could do it yearly, but it's probably better to reduce your volatility by rebalancing monthly. Otherwise, you won't specifically have 60% of your allocation in stocks and 40% in bonds throughout the year. One could soar in value, one could depreciate, both could depreciate or even both could soar or you know, vice versa with, with the situation of one doing badly and one doing well. So the returns are quite impressive. We mentioned that the period we were measuring had been from 1969, the end of 1969, so let's just say the start of 1970, to present. Present includes the end of 2018. So a decent return, $10,000 becoming $923,000 is quite decent. Yes, you do have quite a lot of exposure to equities and you do still have a reasonably large drawdown it's not as bad as having a full-on equities portfolio because as we've noted in previous episodes, you could see drawdowns in this period of around 55 to 69%. And that is drastically higher than the level we've just mentioned of the 60-40 portfolio. But obviously, returns would be much higher. We don't have the exact figure with us now, but let's look at it this way. 7.4% a year from 1970 to 2018 you do one times 1.074 to the power of however many years it's been now, 48 years, let's just say, full years. That would give you a decent figure. The problem is it will be much lower than the current figure given now. That's because dividends aren't actually taken into account from that uh, investment because your nominal size does increase as you have decent returns. So let's just say, I don't know, a million and a half, two million, could be 
three maybe if we're pushing it. Obviously three with a very optimistic approach, but we can see that the 60-40 portfolio does help you. The maximum drawdowns at one point hadn't been that bad actually, as I said, 29.5% on the downside. And I can see another drawdown in 2002 of around 20%, a drawdown 1988 at around 16%. And other than that, it's fairly constant around the 10% level. Anything worse than that is extremely drastic. So let's look at important areas of focus. They include 1974, which had been severe inflation following the 1973 energy crisis, which actually led to the depreciation in numerous asset class valuations, specifically in equities, which actually held back the performance of the 60-40 portfolio, but not as much as a fully exposed portfolio. So the drawdown of approximately minus 27.5% had been recorded. And 2008 to 2009, most notably, obviously, as a result of the financial crisis, where the previously mentioned maximum drawdown of minus 25, sorry, 29.5% had occurred. So to basically summarize this, the 60-40 portfolio is relatively risky because it has a sharp ratio of 0.48 over the period measured. That basically accounts for risk-adjusted returns. A sharp ratio of 0.48 isn't that great. Usually you look for above one. Great investment strategies or investors as a whole would perform above a sharp ratio of say two. And so to think of it from an investor's point of view, the prospect of low returns from a traditional 60-40 equity bond allocation raises considerable challenges. In fact, perhaps the most important challenge or the most significant challenge may be deciding which of the other asset allocation strategies out there is most likely to do better. So we're gonna have a look now, we're 30 minutes into the podcast, we need to probably start teasing at the example from Dick Stoken of Stoken Asset Management. So to first begin with some background information, Stoken Asset Management is an investment advisor providing quantitative asset management services to individual investors and institutions through separately managed accounts. So they're basically investment managers. And the firm's basic strategy is to grow investor capital by basically outperforming the S&P 500 over complete market cycles while giving lower than market risk. And this fund operates off a tactical algorithm with strict risk management controls in place designed to recognize and adapt to changing market conditions. In fact, Dick Stoken himself had written a book called Survival of the Fittest for Investors, and he describes one of his investment strategies by the name of Stoken's Active Combined Asset Allocation Strategy, otherwise known as Stoken's ACA Strategy. That is a tactical asset allocation strategy that uses price channel breakouts to choose between pairs of opposing risk and defensive asset classes. So let's just think of the asset classes that are used. We can see here, they use the S&P 500 as the first one, where they begin with a third of the allocation. At gold as well, and they have VNQ, which is US real estate. But the third of the allocation isn't in these assets in particular, it's split. The third, so that 33% is split into two, 16 odd percent, right? And that is put, one is into the risk asset, and one is into the defensive asset. So 
with the S&P 500, the defensive asset is the IEF, interim treasuries. Those ones are relatively long-term US treasuries in this case. But the risk asset was the S&P 500. The risk asset for the second slice would be gold, and the defensive asset would be TLT, so even longer term US treasuries. And for the final slice, the third slice of the portfolio, you'd have VNQ, otherwise known as US Real Estate Investment Trust, that kind of thing. And the defensive asset would be more intermediate term US treasuries. They use a strategy that requires a certain amount of trading days for a breakout. It's basically technical analysis, but from a macro standpoint, so this strategy will basically look from a really long-term point of view. To describe it in further detail, we could probably say the strategy is to go long the risk asset at today's close when the risk asset will end the day above its upper channel. So basically a breakout, a technical breakout. They'll go long the risk asset, right? If it closes above. But they also account for a switch to the defensive asset. So an example of the defensive asset could be, I know US Treasury bonds, whether intermediate term or longer term, they'd switched that at today's close when the risk asset will end the day below its lower channel. So if it has a breakdown, they will switch from the risk asset to the defensive asset that was mentioned. So we'd mentioned, uh, I know gold is one risk asset in a certain situation and long-term US Treasury bonds act as the defensive asset for the portfolio there. So that this particular tactical asset allocation strategy has a policy to hold positions until a change in signal. So it's relatively active in the sense of, as soon as you have a signal coming up, you change it. With the 60-40 portfolio, you just have to rebalance to 60% allocation in equities and 40% allocation into, say, the bond markets that you decide to expose yourselves to. Usually ones that are decent in terms of risk-adjusted returns. So let's look at the US, for example. That's a really popular go-to hedge. A lot of UK-based funds will use US Treasury bonds as a baseline point because UK bonds don't yield that much. I mean, US bonds, as we mentioned, the US 10-year Treasury bond is yielding near record lows at 1.53% right now. That isn't that great considering back in I believe 1981 or 1982, the yield was something like 15.7%, a crazy premium to what the current yield is on the US 10-year bond. But um, what we should probably think about is that the asset manager, if you're managing, say, Stoken's asset strat, if you're Stoken in this case, Dick Stoken of Stoken Asset Management, you must rebalance the entire portfolio on either a change in signal or on the last trading day of the calendar year. And this strategy can be applied actively on a monthly basis, but here's what we've just talked about, even as far as a daily basis, absolutely amazing. And this strategy you'd expect has returned quite well over the period measured. The only problem is we only have data back to around 1989, 1988, that kind of time. Nothing longer than that. But um, in the 25 years that this portfolio has been around, in comparison to the 48 years, that the 60-40 data we've been using for the 60-40 portfolio, you could have had it when the markets had begun, to be honest. And you had two assets that kind of 
were not specifically correlated to equities and bonds. That wouldn't have been an issue. But in the 25 years, $10,000 would have returned something like, let's see the exact number, just to be safe. The annualized return would result in a total of $300,000. So if you invested 10,000, in 1988, you'd have 300,000 now, or at the end of 2018, just to be safer. That's decent. Yes, with the 60-40 strat over 48 years, you'd have around 900,000. But with this, if we apply the same rate of growth, we can summarize that actually that portfolio would do better if we extrapolated the data because they've reduced their drawdowns. That's what's really important. If we look at some statistics, right, this has been a really long episode, but we need to note that the maximum drawdown over the period measured 1988 to present had been in October 2008, where the drawdown, so the peak to trough percentage difference, had stood at minus 12.7% versus the minus 29.5% mentioned with the 60-40 bomb, well, stock bomb portfolio. That actually is a good comparator because the drawdown there, the max one, was in Feb 2009, shortly after the one achieved from Stoken's active combined asset strategy. And 12.7% versus 29.5% is really significant. And we could also analyze the reduction in drawdowns further by exploring the length of time taken before a drawdown is complete. Because a lot of investors get anxious about the negative returns in their portfolio. Well, if you held in Dick Stoken's portfolio, your longest drawdown would have been 17 months versus the 60-40 benchmark portfolio of 40 months. This is really significant. As I said, it calms down investors and you're less likely to probably cut your losses out there. But um, let's also look at one more figure before we head off. We had so much data in today's episode, but I need to make up for the fact that I won't be up tomorrow morning. I mean, it's 3 a.m. now and I want to hopefully build off what we were talking about yesterday. So we should note that the average trading frequency, this is one important area, is three per year versus the 0.1 in the 60-40 benchmark average. The risk-adjusted returns of Stoken's asset management strategy is 0.98 versus the 0.48 of the 60-40 data point that we had earlier. The annualized volatility of Stoken's ACA strategy, let's just call it now, was recorded at 9.1% versus the 60-40 benchmark strategy of 8.7%. That effectively means that you are going to be more active if you are holding in Dick Stoken's asset allocation strategy. Well, if you're replicating it, you'd be more active. Or if you were just holding in, say, an ETF or whatever, then you wouldn't be doing anything differently but the manager would be more active. So there'd be more risk in a way of like non-static risk, but it's likely that you'd have lower drawdowns during difficult periods because there are already risk management limits in place in a sense that the investor will actually close their positions if they see price being below a certain level, so a certain average. I think this is 126 days or 252 days based off channels. But with the 60-40 portfolio, if both sides of your portfolio become depressed, you'll have to stick 
until you rebalance at the end of the month. And what if you rebalance at the end of the month and then one asset class outperforms the other? That is unfortunate and you're going to lose out on a lot of returns whilst being subjected to a lot of volatility. That is a crazy thing to take in. For me, it keeps me up at night. It explains why I'm up right now at 3.02 a.m. talking about asset allocation strategies. But anyways, I'm going to end it on that note. I hope this episode has been extremely informative because there's been a lot of data mentioned here. We'll finish off our look at Stoken's asset allocation strategy and its comparison to the 6040 portfolio, that benchmark portfolio, as we like to call it, and a lot of industry guys do too. We will hopefully finalize that tomorrow and then move on to more interesting data. We might even be joined by some interesting historical investment return data and other stats of such nature. I've been your host, Ryan Kier. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up on our website at quantumresearch.co.uk. But I'll leave us there and make sure that I can get a somewhat good night's sleep. I mean, I'll probably get four or five hours in before market open. But anyways, until next time, have a great one.